weren't, I encourage you to go back and to tune into that, that podcast or live stream and the archive stream, and you can watch that because it really set the stage for where we're going. And so you aren't going to be totally lost coming in tonight if you missed last week, but you don't want to skip last week permanently. You'll want to tune in and watch that. And if you are a guest, we're so thankful that you chose to be here on a Wednesday night, either a guest in person or online. And so uh, this series will continue after next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we're just taking a little break, one-week break, because my wife is actually going to be speaking about fasting as we go into our, our three-day fast next week, at some point next week. Um, and she's going to kind of talk about that, what God's laid on her heart as it sets the stage spiritually for us going into this 2022. But this is week two of the principle of the path, and the crux of the message of this new series is this, how to get from where you are now to where you want to be in the future. I think all of us dream about something in the future. So here we are. I want to get there. How do we get there? And so your destination is determined by your path. I know a lot of times we'll say our destination is determined by our dreams. Somewhat. We need dreams and vision. But if we don't get on the right path, the dreams don't come to fruition. And so direction, not intention determines our destination. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. You and I will win or lose based on the paths we choose. I just gave you like three great tweets, so you can go ahead and do whatever you want with that. For much of our decision-making, we lean hard into our intentions, and we often pay little attention to the path we've chosen. You know, we just, well, I intended to do that. My kids tell me that sometimes. Well, we told you to do that. Yeah, I meant to. Okay, but it didn't get done. So it can be heartbreaking to watch so many people fail to connect the dots between the choices they make and the outcomes of their personal experiences. You see, they've come to believe the popular notion that as long as my intentions are good, as long as my heart is in the right place, and as long as I'm doing my best and trying my hardest, it doesn't really matter what path I take. It does matter what path you take. And so we can try our best and do our hardest and have good intention, our heart try to be in the right place, and choose the wrong path, and you're going to deal with some tough situations. And so this is the same for Christians too. You see, Christians sometimes even maybe us, but let's just talk about the Christians out there, not us. Christians sometimes will use God as a crutch. God can fix it. Just trust God and he'll work it out. God can deliver. And I wholeheartedly agree with every one of those statements. God can fix it. You need to just trust God. He can work it out, and God can and will deliver. But we cannot continue to sin and just keep going on the same path and then just keep asking God to bail us out. Like, I just got my credit card bill paid off. I'm going to go live it up this weekend, and next week I'll ask him to help me with my finances again. I just came out of a bad relationship, and so I'm going back to the bars and clubs to find me another man or woman. Well, so 
that's probably not the best place to find a good relationship. I, I, I chose to do these things, but I'm asking God to help me and deliver me and set me free, even though I am the one that keeps going down the same path. And so there's an amazing piece of literature. All we are doing for the rest of tonight is going to Proverbs chapter 7. That's it. Not looking anywhere else. An amazing piece of literature tucked away in the book of Proverbs that illustrates this disconnect. And so tonight we end up talking a little bit about relationships, but it's really a principle of the path in general in life. And I almost, I tell you, I wish, I wish. I'm going to have to go down and, and ask Pastor Chad. It's been a while since he's invited me to preach to the youth. So maybe I can push my way in there because this would be a good message. I'm glad that hyphen college group, you know, seniors, 18-year-olds, 18 plus. But the youth, I'd really like to talk to them about this. But it's something that I think we all need to hear. In Proverbs 7, Solomon described an encounter that he witnessed from the vantage point of what appears to be an upstairs window. It's amazing what we can see from an upstairs window when we're looking at someone else's life. Because he was physically removed from what he saw. He could not hear what the characters were saying to each other. But he provided us with their conversation as he imagined it. Honestly, it's also possible some people believe it might have been his own personal experience. Because he kind of let the opposite gender mess things up for him a little bit. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 6, reading from New Living. It says, he says, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain... I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. Certainly, there's not any young men that lack common sense, right? <laughs> Certainly, there's some older men that lack common sense. I'm probably one of them once in a while, right? Solomon sees this kid. We don't know how old he is. But from what we learn later, we know he's probably at least north of puberty. Solomon described this kid as simple, lacking common sense. And then verse 8, he says, he was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, which she probably had a reputation if he's writing about it, strolling down the path by her house. It was twilight in the evening. Nothing good happens after dark, right? As deep darkness fell. This almost reminds me of Eve, you know, in the garden. You can eat anywhere. Just that one right there, just don't eat of that tree. And she's hanging out around that tree, conversing with a serpent. Like, why, why, why don't we just get out of there? This young guy's cruising the streets. You, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to see where this story is heading. Well, there's a young, naive guy walking by the street at nighttime near an immoral woman's house. Hmm, wonder what's going to happen. And as we'll see in a second, he knew that this woman was married. And apparently, he knew that her husband was out of town and she was looking for something. That alone should have stopped him in his tracks. But it didn't. It almost sounds like he's heading her direction for a reason because... The path we are on matters. 
Solomon knew what was in his future. Why? Because the older and wiser king understood from experience where this path leads. The adolescent was preoccupied with what he believed would be an exciting event, a night of passion. It would somehow be a night disconnected from every other night in his life. He thought, I can walk down this path, enjoy this experience, and then go back to my life as normal. But Solomon knew better. This young man probably didn't figure that he had to think about the emotional attachment, pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases, getting caught, destroying reputation and ministry, ruining the lives of multiple families and children, how a single act could change the life of multiple lives in one moment. Solomon looked on just as we were, maybe we are tonight, and <laughs> how could you not see this? What are you doing? It's so obvious. Funny how that works. What is so obvious as an innocent bystander is so easily missed in our own lives. Isn't it easy to pick up like when pride is in someone else's life? It's so easy to pick up when being rude or bitterness, it's in someone else's life. It's easy to pick up when someone has a relationship, you're looking, watching it, and yeah, I'm kind of concerned about this. Solomon goes on in verse 10. He says, the woman approached him. Well, I didn't see that one coming. Seductively dressed and sly of heart. It doesn't matter how we dress. God looks on the heart. Well, Scripture says that she was dressed a certain way with a certain purpose. She was brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She's often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. Now, I know what you think there, but hang on. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. Pretty straightforward, I guess. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You are the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. When she said, I made peace offerings and fulfilled my vows, you know what she's essentially saying? She's saying, look, I am not a hooker. I'm not a prostitute. I have plenty of money at home, and I'm not after your money. I just want you. And this is often how relationships like this work. All of humanity is looking to be loved, desired, special. Now, at this point, I know that I've probably already lost some of you. Some of you are uncomfortable because he's talking about sex and relationships. Oh, my goodness. Others, I lost you because you're like, yeah, that'll never happen in my life. Nobody ever wakes up and says, I'm going to go down that path and destroy my life. But I've watched so, 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 so many. Great men and women of God traded all for a relationship. I received the gift of the Holy Spirit at seven years old. So I walked in the way of church for a long time, and I've served in ministry for a long time. 
not just as a pastor, but a youth leader, taught Sunday school. My dad taught Bible studies. I grew up around people at our house counseling with my parents. So many people have traded it all in because they wanted to be loved, desired, accepted. It's not that people are dumb. It's not that they don't want to serve God. But they so desperately want to be loved, desired, and special that when someone comes along and says, you are just who I was looking for. I'm telling you, I have been looking for you. No one, you. Do you notice in that verse she said you three times? I'm looking for you. You're special. You're the one I'm looking for. You think I'm special? Oh, oh, shucks. Mother, this is, we laugh at that and go, God, what a nerd, what a dork. But when we get in that moment, even if you're married, if we give heed to that, my wife doesn't even say that to me. Before we know it, we're going to the office dressing a little bit different. Looking at our calendar going, do I have a, oh, she's in a meeting with me today. We start to, oh, I would never cheat on my wife. Oh, no. But our brains start to go places where it hadn't gone before. Because someone that was dressed a certain way, spoke a certain way to me, went out of her way and said things to me that made me feel like, oh, really? You like this sweater? Huh. I thought it made me look like an 85-year-old. My kids made fun of me tonight. I'm just trying to be warm, y'all. Titus comes down, he kept saying, it's so strange, he never comments on my clothes. He's like, Dad, you look like you're in high school. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who wears this to high school? And then Kira's like, no, not high school, Titus, more like an 85-year-old. <laughs> I'm just trying to be warm, okay? I can't even get out the house without getting made fun of. When you have to tell your kids you're cool, I don't know if you're cool anymore. It's just like, man. I do want you to know it's not a sweater vest. Just, just to clarify. Thanks. It's funny because I'm getting warmer right now. So that's the thing. I mean, like, somebody comes along, wow, you're special. Wow, you are so gifted. You're so talented. Your wife's lucky. Your husband's lucky to have a woman like you. And then the next time we feel unappreciated at home, maybe we say, you know what? I just wish you appreciated me. I get more, I get more, I get people actually appreciate me more at the office than here in my house. In those moments, if we're not close to God, if we're not holding strong boundaries for ourselves, 
we too will walk aimlessly into the arms of destruction. Wrong, I say this all the time, wrong relationships will destroy our lives faster than drugs and alcohol. There are people who have walked with God that, oh, I saw these people partying, they're getting drunk, they're getting high, they're doing this, blah, blah. but then they will trade everything away because someone, they've wanted attention from someone. When someone comes around, gives them attention, they will trade everything away to walk with that person. When nothing else, they were committed in every other area, but that is the one thing because at the core of our being, we desperately want to be connected to someone. But no one wakes up and says, you know what, today's the day. I'm trading it all in. No, we're more like Samson. We just assume we're strong enough to play with fire every day and not get burned. You ever think about that? <clears throat> you read Samson's story. And he went back to Delilah's house. And he was sitting, she said, what's the secret of your strength? And he's like, well, this is the thing. And then, he, and then she tries it. Like, that would, how do you get so stuck in a terrible relationship that the woman tries, or man, this is not specifically geared at a gender, it's just his story. Man and woman, they try to do the thing you say is dangerous to you and would remove your power. And you go, I'm heading back to Delilah's house today. And she goes, you lied to me. What's the secret of your strength? And you tell her another thing. And she does it. And you leave. And go back again the next day. And she's like, I don't like you. They say women can get whatever they want. It might be true. I don't know. I don't like you hurt my feelings. This can't continue if I can't trust you. Samson should have said, trust who? Who can, what are you, you're saying you can't trust me? No, he goes, all right, Delilah, fine, I'll tell you. If you cut off all my hair, shave my hair. So she does it. And he gets his eyes gouged out and dies a death that prays for God's grace in the end. Thank the Lord for that. But imagine if Samson, would have had strong boundaries and never allowed himself to keep going down that path to Delilah's house. We would be preaching about Samson like we do David. We would be talking about one of the mightiest men of God in the history of humankind who judged the people and led them to great victory. He was capable. He had so much potential. Probably, if you read the whole Bible... As much, if not more than any potential, more potential than any other human. And how many men and women do we know that have had so much potential and they traded it all away for a relationship? That guy could have went down as a powerhouse for God. Instead, he played around with a pagan relationship and his story goes down as the greatest what could have been story. Can you imagine if I don't want my life, I don't want my name to follow. Can you imagine if he would have? 
Can you imagine if she would have? I don't want that. The path to an immoral and ungodly relationship will always lead to destruction. Maybe not 24 hours later. This is why we must trust God enough to keep him first. And he will bring a godly relationship at the right time. Unfortunately, though, most people, and this is what I hate about standing here and preaching this message because it's so powerful and it's so true. But so many people have already, and you're saying, that would never happen to me. Until it does. And so is it something we have to be afraid of? Like, I just hope it don't happen. I can't sleep tonight. What if it happens to me? It's not like something that hail hits your car. Yes, the way to avoid the ungodly relationship is the street that he or she lives on to not go down that path. Is that, you know, if Delilah, he thought he was in a good relationship, and the first time she asks him something, he says, what did you just say to me? I just woke up with ropes around. You're a good-looking woman, but this is done. I am not coming back to this house. And you know what? Walking out is hard, and, and leaving is hard, and not picking up the phone to text and call after you ended it is hard. But I refuse to go back down that path again. The story continues, verse 16. She says, I mean, she came out and kissed him when he walked up. Might as well start talking about the bed. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets. That sounds like a, sounds like a woman, right? If it's, my wife's got like 37 blankets all throughout our house. You need a blanket? I got enough for the whole service. We can have church in my house. Everyone can have blankets. And she's raising Kier the way. We're Christmas shopping. Kier says, I bought mom a blanket. I was like, what? We got 37 of them. Dad, women need, we like blankets. I'm like, okay. I don't know if that's just a woman thing. That's all I can only speak for my, my house. She says, I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our, our fill of love until morning. Let us enjoy each other's caresses. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. Well, that, that pretty much clinched it right there. Guy can stay the night and stay, stick around for breakfast in the morning. But Solomon, he sees it all a little bit different. He says in verse 21, he says, So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once. Like an ox going to the slaughter, he was like a stag caught in a trap. He didn't say like a celebrity heading into a club. This guy, I mean, he's walking in like, oh, wow, she wants me, just me. She saw me. She just wanted me. She complimented my sweater. <laughs> and the bystander, like you are to some of the people in your life, you're going, what are you doing? But you notice when someone comes to you and tells you about a relationship and you're like, listen, that's not a good thing. What do they do? Cut you off. You ain't going to support me. We're not going to talk. That's why a lot of people, too, they think about marriage and pursuing a relationship. They don't tell their pastor. 
He said, rather, you just don't know because I'm not going to control your life, but I'm going to say I'm very concerned about not any relationship, but when you say, I'm on fire for God, I want to serve God, and somebody says, I don't want God, and I don't come to church, I don't even need to pray about that. It's not a wise relationship. Solomon did not say, oh, I look like a soul. No, he says, ah, there's a God, there's an ox heading to the slaughter. And then he adds, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart, he was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. Well, I just want to be loved. And he or she showed me attention, and so I just wanted to go over for a while. We just had a couple drinks. We did What? That doesn't sound like a child of God. Solomon was making it abundantly clear this young man was destroying his life. He was throwing away his future. And this is where we say, yeah, you should be up here. I wish this did not pertain to married men and women. I wish. For some, it might be the innocent young man walking down the path. But for some, it's the married woman that is looking for something when the husband's away. And it works for both genders. At this point in Solomon's narrative, he turned a corner and addressed his broader audience, people like you and I. And he says in verse 24, he says, so listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Listen to me, everybody. Pay attention to my words. He says, don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. Because what we're talking about is the principle of the path. And whatever path you think you can go on and then say, oh, God, help me, Lord. Get me back on the right path. And he goes, I showed you the right path. And you veered from it. You turned away and you walked down the opposite path. Now, if you're going to repent and come back, I will help you get back on the right path. But if I keep going, Lord, help me, forgive me for visiting her. And then we text her the next day, hey, when can I come by? Is this weekend work? We're, we're, we can't keep going down that path and then saying, bail me out, God. principle of the path. Once you start letting yourself down a certain path, it's not a series of isolated events to which you can do whatever you want and ask Jesus to forgive you. Jesus Christ died to wash away your sins. He promises forgiveness and cleansing, but if we disregard his commands and start walking down these paths, you will find forgiveness if you ask. Yes, he says, I'm faithful and just. He will cleanse us. Absolutely. Thank God for grace and mercy. But you will also find a lot of heartache and repercussions to decisions that launched us down that path. David slept with Bathsheba. Was he forgiven? You better believe he was. But was the nation punished? Did he learn, lose his firstborn child? Was there a time where he had laid in the house of the Lord and put sackcloth and ashes and wept? Forgiveness came, but there was a repercussion. Remember how this lady says this man was so special. She wanted him. Look what Sam Solomon says. 
He says, for she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. This experience is a well-worn path. You're not the first man to go to the office and have a woman flirt with you. Sure, you're a special guy. You're not the first woman to have a man make you feel special. That's not your husband. Your husband should do a better job. But this is a path that leads to death and destruction. If Solomon could have called a timeout in this story, if he could have pulled back the curtain and be like, hey, time out, hang on, I'm coming down. Guys, let me talk to you. He'd look at that guy and say, listen, buddy, I hate to break it to you, but there's nothing unique or special or rare about this. You may have never felt this way before, but a lot of men have traveled down into this house. You're just part of a crowd, a herd, a flock. There's nothing new here. It's an age-old trick from the enemy that preys upon the desire of humankind to be loved and desired. But we must pursue relationships on the right path. The minute we think we can turn off the path and visit the house of someone like this, we will soon find that decision and the ones that continue to follow it do not lead to a bunch of isolated events. No, this path leads to emptiness, brokenness, destruction, and death. Death of health, family, dreams, ministry. That's why Solomon added in verse 27, her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. There's a reason I've taken a whole night on this. Because yes, it fits with the principle of the path. We're talking about the path that we choose not being isolated events. But because also, I would say, I felt this way forever. That the number one way that the enemy will destroy the church is to destroy the families. Because a church is not strong if the family unit is not strong. Strong churches are built on strong families. If the family is not strong, the church, its strength, it's just a mirage. And so if, a, if the enemy can destroy the marriages of the church, or the people who are single and pursuing God, if he can get your attention off to pursue someone else. Now, there is nothing wrong. I think we should be in healthy relationships going on a date. I think, I think that's all great, and I think we should get married, and I think that if that's what God's called you, great. And, but you have to make sure that the person that is pursuing me, I'm pursuing them, is following the word of God. Because if we're not, we're talking about the path. And at some point, you come up to a path that goes that way or this way. And when you're married to somebody that says, well, I've been going this way, and I want to keep going that way. And you say, well, I've been going this way, and I want to go that way. Someone's going to influence someone. Now, I love the stories when the person who was not walking toward God says, you know what, honey? I want to come to your church, and I want to serve God like you serve God. 
love that, and it has happened. But you think it's more difficult to walk away and live a, because living a godly life requires boundaries and discipline and pursuit of Christ, and it's countercultural. So is it easy to walk against the grain of culture or with the grain of culture? So guess who typically will influence who? So for me, as I would be interested in a woman or something before my wife, I would have a conversation with them about dreams and ministry and goals. And if that wasn't aligning, I would do my best to say, okay, I might be interested. I might be attracted. But no, I want to make sure that I'm going to marry someone who is desiring to walk the same path that I am. Thank God I waited and he gave me someone. Got married at the old age of 26. But you see what I'm saying here? I, w- I don't want you to say, man, he doesn't even think we should date. My goodness, am I supposed to just be by myself my whole life? I am not saying that. But I am saying trust God enough that you don't have to stress and start knocking on the doors of random people. Well, because she said she was looking for someone just like me. Never ceases to amaze me how I will preach something like this and people will hear it and say, oh, I know. I know. No, 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 no. Oh, of course not. No, I would never do that. I was a youth leader for a while. Guys, you better be careful. Guys, you better, hey, that's not a good idea. In some cases, some of my friends got messed up. People who we were youth leaders, some of the, one or two of the strongest members of the youth group that had the brightest future, threw it all away for a relationship. I mean, I could literally sit here. In my, in my head right now, there are names and faces that are coming to my heart. It's heartbreaking. People, oh, I would, I would never. And then they'll walk down the path to the house of someone like this, walk up, knock on the door. When you get lost in life, you can't can't necessarily backtrack. When you get lost in life, you don't waste minutes or hours. You can end up wasting an entire season of your life. And no doubt some of you are sitting here going, man, where was this when I was this age? Where was this when I was this age? I could have used this. But you know, maybe it's time for you to help make some disciples and invest in people. Share your story. Choosing the wrong path will cost you precious years. Nobody wants to wake up in their 50s and wish they took a different path in their 30s. We only get one senior year, one first marriage, one first intimate moment, one first child, first job, first car, first college class, first home. We only get one. Principle of the path is operating in your life every minute of every day. Every day. You make a decision about what path am I heading down? That's why God, he gives us like, because it can get stressful. Oh, my goodness. 
I don't know what, what am I choosing with finances and house and marriage and ministry and career. Ah. But God gives this beautiful work where he says, hey, Matthew 6, 33 says, seek me first. Just put me number one. Pursue me above everything and everyone else. And I promise you, I'll take care of everything else. But in our pursuit of him, sometimes we can go, yeah, but, but my attention. No, but just keep pursuing him. Live according to his plan, his principles. Because right now, you're currently on a financial path of some kind. You're on a relational path of some kind. You're continuing down a moral or an ethical path right now. You're, you're, every one of us, online, in person, we're, we're walking a path right now in some way. And each of these paths has a destination. My prayer is that by becoming more aware of this powerful principle, that you will have the wisdom to know which path to get on and stay on and set boundaries for yourself so that when other paths come up, you remember where this path is leading you and remember that it's not worth getting off the path for fleeting moments of pleasure that lead toward death and destruction. And so I'm talking now to every single person, to every married person, young and old, male and female. We're all going to make decisions as to where we are in our part of our life right now. And chances are, for almost every single one of me, every single one of you listening online and here today, every one of us will have an opportunity at some point to go down a path that leads toward death and destruction. You're not going to live from here to death without having an opportunity to walk down a path that can lead us right into Delilah's house or right into, right into this woman's house. And it's the recording women, but it's men. It's the same thing. It's whatever. We, we're going to have an opportunity to turn and say, oh, that path looks interesting. But what I'm saying is do, do not forget that each choice is not a series of isolated events. With the path we go down, it sets something in motion that is going to impact the rest of your life. That's heavy. But it's stuff that scripturally I think God wants us to see. Because ultimately, the path I'm trying to go on is the one that leads me to a place where Jesus Christ looks at me and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I have gone to prepare a place for you, and the reason I did that is so that where I am, you can be also. And you have walked the path that I've called you to walk. I invite you right now to just begin to find a place to pray. Because no doubt, it's a heavy message that I think every one of us, if you're not walking the right path, 
It's the time to come to an altar and find a place and say, Jesus, please forgive me and help me right now to get back on the right path, to set up safeguards, boundaries that are not going to allow me to go this way. If you're walking the right path and you're going, man, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to worry about, then begin to find a place and say, God, help me when these things arise to just be wise, to see. I would always pray this growing up. I would say, God, help me as I walk a path, not even knowing about this series, but I would say as I walk the path, help me to see the road ahead through your eyes so that when I walk the path, I can see the pitfalls and the snares in front of me before I get to them. And with your help and strength, I can have supernatural clarity with spiritual vision. I can't do that by myself. And we're human beings and we're faulty and we're failures in many ways. But God, you've empowered me by your spirit. And if I can walk this path that you've called me to walk, help me not to just look through my eyes and, oh, that looks good. Oh, that, oh she looks good. Oh, that looks fun. Oh, that. No. Help me to open my eyes and see through your eyes so I can go, whoa. Okay. Like that. Okay. Yeah. Because if I'm seeing through his eyes, I can walk this way that he's called me to walk and get to the places he's calling me to be a lot faster without wasting seasons of my life because I was just let's stand let's just find a place to pray right now and talk to God about where you are the path that you're on and the commitments that you're willing to establish and boundaries Jesus help us.